So far in the book of Exodus, we've seen a pretty amazing story. <laughs> it's been pretty amazing. In order to rescue his people from slavery, Yahweh has brought judgment upon Egypt in the form of plagues, culminating last week in the most terrible of them all, the death of the firstborn. And what we come to today is one of the primary themes of the book of Exodus. And also, it's one of the primary themes, if not the primary theme, of the next four books of the Bible. And the theme is this. God is creating for himself a people. A people. A community. A family. God is not making a bunch of saved individuals. No, he's making one big, happy family out of everyone that he rescues. Now, this should resonate with all of us, right? I mean, we all have this deep longing to belong. To belong to some type of group. You know, humans are just, we're constantly grouping ourselves off. Constantly. Creating like-minded communities to belong to. And for example, you know, if you own a Harley Davidson, you know, you, you do that cool thing on the road, on the interstate, you know, when you, when you pass another Harley Davidson, you know what you do? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Somebody, yeah, that's it. You do that cool thing with two fingers. Man, I wish I could do that. That's so cool, you know. <laughs> and if you root for the Alabama Crimson Tide, you know, what do you do then? Well, you know, you, you paint your whole body red and gather together to eat and watch the game together. Yeah, row tide. Gather your whole family, your friends, you know, everybody in the group. They just gather together. You watch the game. You go to Tuscaloosa. You cheer. You, you scream your lungs out. You know, everybody's together in unison. It's just one big group. You know, one big group that's like-minded. If you like Marvel comics, you know, then I don't know, you paint your body blue or you dress like Wonder Woman or Superman, you know, and you gather together at the comic book stores, uh, the movies, at Comic-Con, you know, and you do the whole thing, the Marvel thing, because you all have that in common, you know. And so what we see in all of these groups is that as fun as they are, not everybody can join, you know? Like, not everybody can jump in the group. For example, I can't be in the Harley-Davidson club. I can't. They won't let me in it. Why not? Because my wife won't let me buy a Harley. Right? Like, I can't, I can't drive down the interstate in my Honda Accord and roll my window down when I see a Harley coming. Be like, hey, hey, hey. They're liable to give me another hand gesture, right? If I tried that. I can't do it because I'm not in the Harley club. I don't have a Harley. <laughs> I can't be in the club. I want to be in it really badly. They won't let me in, okay? So in order to be involved in any human community, you, you, you have to have the same identity marker as the whole group. You know, like you have to have that thing. You got you to you actually be a Marvel fan to be in the Marvel group, okay? You got to have the same identity marker. But what about God's community? What about God's community? Does it work the same way? And if so, what identity marker do you have to have to be in his community? Well, let's find out. 
Today we come to Exodus chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. Right, and we're going to look at verses 31 through 51. 12, 31 through 51. If, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's okay. The verses will be on the screen behind me. Exodus 12, 31 through 51. Verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and go. And also, bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. This is God's Word. Okay, so... Without lifting a sword or even a finger, Israel won the war against Egypt. Now, of course, Israel on its own had no chance of winning a war with Egypt. No chance. But Israel had a champion. Israel had someone who would fight for them. You see, it was Yahweh himself who brought Egypt to its knees. It was Yahweh who fought for Israel. 
and won. It was the Lord of heaven and earth who won the victory. And so, Pharaoh and the Egyptian population waved the white flag. <laughs> They're like, we're done with you and your God. We're done. And they all demanded that Israel leave like right now. <laughs> like immediately. Leave now, please. And that's exactly what they did. They left the slavery they'd been in for 430 long years. They left in such a hurry that they didn't even have time for their biscuits to rise. Do you see that? <laughs> They're like, oh no, you ain't got time for your biscuits to rise. Leave. Just gather whatever you can get and go. That's what Pharaoh in Egypt told them. And so they had to take unleavened bread with them. And they took some more things with them too. Like so many conquering powers, they took with them the riches of Egypt. Did you see that? Gold, silver, fine clothing. To the victor go the spoils, right? But of course, Israel really wasn't the victors. Yahweh was the victor. Israel only received the spoils of Yahweh's victory by His grace. By His grace. Now, an interesting element of this story is verse 32. Do you think Pharaoh was genuinely repentant in verse 32? You know, if you look at it, he's like, hey, y'all get the heck out of here. Just go worship the Lord like you said you wanted to do. Take the flocks, the herds, just go. Oh, and also bless me. Bless me. And if you notice something, something really interesting here. Verse uh, verse 31, this is the first time Pharaoh calls the people Israelites. He's never called them that before. He's only called them slaves up to this point. But now he's calling them Israelites. He's calling them by their name. And he says, will you also bless me as you leave? Now, do you think he's being legit? I think that's real repentance. Well... We'll see one chapter from now. Mm, not so much. <laughs> not so much. Now, I do, I do think Pharaoh's feeling sorrowful. I, I think he is. I think he's feeling down. He's feeling drab. Okay, I think that. But this isn't real repentance. You see, uh, in fact, what we see here, and I won't take long in this point. It's kind of a side point, but it's important. Uh, we see here the difference between fake repentance and real repentance. Okay? So... What's the difference? Well, fake repentance is when you're sorry for what your sin does to you. Okay? Fake repentance is when you're sorry for what your sin does to you. True repentance is when you're sorry for what your sin does to God. For what your sin did to Jesus. That's true repentance. Uh, Pharaoh ain't got that. <laughs> he's only sad that he's been defeated. And we'll see that next week. Uh, this is fake repentance on pharaoh's part okay uh, moving along so is israel left egypt in a hurry headed south along the nile in a great number okay the text tells us there's about six hundred thousand men which means likely around two million people were leaving uh were leaving egypt if not more than that uh now when two million people leave your country that you've been in charge of for 430 years this was an enormous humiliation 
to Pharaoh and to Egypt. And not only was it a huge, enormous humiliation, it was also tremendously devastating to their economy. You see, their economy was built almost entirely off the backs of slaves. And now the slaves are they're kind of gone. And so this is, this is a big problem. <laughs> the great Pharaoh has come against the God of Israel, and in the end he was humiliated and devastated. Devastated. And it's this moment of liberation from the bondage of Pharaoh that Israel was to remember for generations to come. Year after year after year in perpetual memorial. Look at verse 42. Verse 42. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. And so Jews today still keep this vigil. They still keep the Passover meal. Thanking God today for the deliverance of their ancestors from Egypt 4,000 years ago. They're still taking the Passover. They look back and they celebrate a very special time of release and escape from bondage. Now, skeptics often claim, I've heard this a lot, they'll claim that the Bible never says that owning slaves is wrong. The Bible never says slavery is wrong. In fact, just this week, uh, I heard Bill Maher say, the very famous uh, atheist, I heard Bill Maher say that the Bible is essentially a slave owner's manual. It teaches everyone how to own slaves. That's what he said on, on his television show. How ridiculous. <laughs> how ridiculous. Hey, Bill Maher, have you ever heard of the book called The Exodus? You ever heard of the book called The Exodus? You see, Exodus is arguably the grandest and most famous of all biblical tales. And what is its central theme? Freedom from slavery. That's the central theme of the book. In his book, Exodus and Liberation, historian John Coffey uh, fascinatingly explores the way this book the Exodus story has inspired liberation movements throughout history. From the 16th century Protestant reformers escaping from Catholic slavery to the Puritans escaping the bondage of England in an exodus to America to the emancipation movements of the 19th century and to the civil rights movement of the mid-20th century. You see, the Bible, particularly this book of the Bible, has been freeing slaves for centuries now. It's been freeing slaves for centuries. So it's far from a slave owner's manual. <laughs> Quite the opposite, actually. What we have before us is a book of freedom. That's what we have. Now, an interesting thing about this book, about this story, is that it, it wasn't just the Jews that left. Did you catch that part of it? It wasn't just the Jews that left Egypt. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 says, many other people went up with them. Nah. So this may be far more than 2 million. This might be up to 2.5, 3 million people leaving. 
Because it wasn't just the Israelites who left. Who were these many people? Well, scholars think it's likely the Egyptian citizens. Egyptian citizens, many of them are leaving Egypt with the Israelites, which is fascinating. But you know, we pointed this out a couple weeks ago, if you were here, it's God's desire through the Exodus, not just to save Israel. He wants to save Egypt too. (laughs) Okay. He wants to save Egypt too. Oh, and the whole world also through the Exodus. He's saving everybody, not just the Israelites. And so we saw here in chapter 12 that God makes provision for anyone, absolutely anyone to participate in this new community and to celebrate the Passover meal. You see, this very special meal, yes, it was specifically for God's covenant people, his new community of freedom. But that didn't just mean biological Jews. It also meant spiritual Jews. Spiritual Jews. So all of these people, all of these Egyptians who left with them, they could be included. Yahweh says, yeah, sure. Circumcise the boys, they're in. Yeah, anybody can join this. And so anyone who put their trust, put their faith in Yahweh, they could join. They could join the community. So in taking the Passover, uh, God wanted this community to be continually reminded of all that he, their champion, had done for them. Okay? He wanted them to be continually, year after year after year for generations, to be reminded of the rescue that Yahweh had brought about. A rescue that uh, they themselves did nothing to bring about. (laughs) Nothing. Yahweh did it all. They did nothing. And God wanted them to remember. Now, back in the beginning of the sermon, we started thinking about various human communities, right? But the world's communities, all of them, require something for you to join. What they require is behavioral conformity. Behavioral conformity. Okay? So if, if you're going to be in the Marvel fan club and go to Comic-Con, you got to do the thing. You got to wear the, the suit. You got to wear the wig. You got to put on the makeup. You got to do the things, right? You got to look like Wonder Woman if you're going to go with us. Okay? You got to do the thing. If you're going to be an Alabama fan, you're going to come to the game with us, you got you to paint your body red and you got to shake your pom-poms and you got to scream every time you score a touchdown, right? You got to do the things, okay? You get, it's behavioral conformity. If you're not going to do any of those things, then eh, we don't really want you part of our club. You know what I mean? Like you got to do the things. You can't be an Auburn fan and then jump in the Alabama fan club. It doesn't work like that. What, you know what happens? If you're an Auburn fan and you try to jump in there, you're painted blue and orange. What happens when you're painted blue and orange and you come and you try to watch, watch the game with a bunch of Alabama fans? What do they do? They throw you out onto the street. Okay? Like physically remove you from the scene okay? because you're not conforming. You've got to behaviorally conform if you're going to be in the group. right? And that's all human groups. They're all like that. Okay? All of them except for one. All of them except for one. You see, many people think that Christianity is just like that. I would say most people think Christianity is just like that. It's about behavioral conformity, moral conformity, you see. Conform to our set of rules, and then, yeah, you can be in our club. (laughs) 
But actually, in reality, Christianity is not like that at all. It's not like that at all. There is absolutely nothing required of you to join. No behavioral requirements. No moral conformity. We don't say, hey, now wait a minute, you're a liar. You're a liar. You know, you, you got to quit that before you can join us. We don't say, hey, you're sexually immoral. Uh, you got to quit that before you can join us. Folks, come on. Let's be real. <laughs> if that was the case, if that was the case, no one would be a Christian. <laughs> Nobody would be a Christian. Especially not this guy. Especially not this guy. You see, folks, the Bible is very clear. That moral conformity to God's standard of righteousness is impossible. It is impossible. The Bible says that just like the Israelites, we are all slaves. We are all slaves to sin. And we have absolutely no chance of freeing ourselves. We're in the identical situation as ancient Israel in Egypt. We've got no chance to free ourselves. We are incapable of fighting and winning a war against our sin and against our enemy, the devil. We've got no chance. So then, what hope do we have? What hope do we have? Well, we have the same hope as Israel. Our hope is in a champion. Our hope is in one who will fight for us and win for us the victory. And I'm here with wonderful news this morning. The wonderful news is we have the greatest champion of them all in our corner. <laughs> We've got the greatest one. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. <laughs> he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly. By his victory over them on the cross. <laughs> In fact, folks, this is what the first Passover was really all about. Look at verse 46. Verse 46. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. And what's that all about? Why can't we break any of the bones of the lamb? It's because centuries after this Passover, 
another lamb would come. And this lamb, he wouldn't have any of his bones broken either. They would crucify him. They would nail him to a cross, but without breaking any of his bones. And you see, this is what's so radically different about our community, about our religion. I got an email this week from a lady who shared her story with me, and you know, it's a story of sin and shame and, and regret. She's, she's interested in potentially coming to church or coming to gospel life, but she's filled with such shame over her situation. She said, Pastor, I, I really just don't know what to do. She said, I, I'd love to be a part of a church, but, you know, I just can't in the sinful situation that I'm in. She said, maybe, uh, maybe online church is, is all I, I should do for now when I'm in this situation. She said, I just don't, I don't know how I got in this rabbit hole of sin. I don't know how I got this far in. And y'all know how I responded to the email. <laughs> I gave her Colossians 2, 13 through 15. I said, I've got bad news for you. You're right. You're a sinner. Just like me. And just like all the rest of us. So, welcome to the club. <laughs> welcome to the club. The sin club. I know how you got that far down the rabbit hole. Because I know how I get real far down the rabbit hole. It's because I'm a sinner. That's how. That's the bad news. I said, but I have awfully good news for you. <laughs> awfully good news. The one and only one thing that qualifies you to participate in God's church is the blood of the Lamb. And that's it. There is nothing else. It's the blood that qualifies you. It's not your moral conformity. You see what she was thinking? She was thinking Christianity is just like every other club. i got to conform before I can belong. No, sir. No, ma'am. That ain't how Jesus' club works. <laughs> that ain't how it works. You could never morally conform. And so, he morally conformed for you in your place. And he took the punishment from the Father that you deserved for all your sins. And it's his blood that gets you in. A church that I really love in Nashville, they actually have painted their front door red. Painted the front door red. And many churches during the Reformation did the same thing. They painted their front doors red. What are they saying with their red door? They're saying, you're unqualified to be here. 
But there is one way you can come. It's through the blood. That's how you can come. You can come through the blood. And ooh, I wish we had a wood door we could paint red. Oh, I wish we had a wood door. <laughs> I would love to do that so much. It's only by the blood of the Lamb that you get into our club. And so the message of Christianity is not about behavioral performance. It's not about moral conformity. The message of Christianity is not do better, try harder. No, the message of Christianity is it is finished. It is finished. The battle is over. Sin is dead. The victory is won. That's the message of Christianity. It's the message of the gospel. You see, folks, this community is not at all like the world's communities. We don't bring ourselves in. No, Yahweh himself plucks us out of the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of freedom. We just read it, <laughs> right? We just read it in Exodus. We just read it in Colossians. We do none of the work. Yahweh does all the work. All you have to do, quote unquote, do, is trust in Jesus. That's it. That's it. You trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross and you're in. <laughs> How cool is that? You're in. God's church accepts anyone who trusts in Jesus. Anyone. It doesn't matter what kind of sinful situation you're living in. It doesn't matter who you voted for. It doesn't matter how many sins you've piled up. It doesn't matter what part of town you live in. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. None of that matters. All that matters is the blood. That's it. And if you trust in Jesus and his shed blood on your behalf, you're in. <laughs> you're in forever. Forever, forever, forever. And so I responded to that lady in the email. I said, so do you think if you were to get yourself out of this sinful situation, you know, clean yourself up a little bit more, do you think then you would be worthy to join us for worship? I hate to break it to you. <laughs> you wouldn't be worthy then either. You wouldn't be worthy then either. <laughs> It's not about moral conformity. Thank God it's not. Because none of us can conform. Like, not even close. <laughs> Jesus made it really clear with two simple commands. He said, here's all you, if, if you want to morally conform, go for it. Knock yourself out. Here's all you have to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. Step one. Step number two. And love your neighbor equally as much as you love yourself. How many of you would raise your hand now and say that you've kept those two commands this week? Oh, no one, eh? then why are we here? Because of the blood. <laughs> it 
You and I have not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength for one second of our lives. And we've not loved our neighbor as ourselves for one cotton-picking second of our lives. But Jesus, Jesus, there was not one second of Jesus' life where he did not love his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and there wasn't a single second of Jesus' life where he did not love his neighbor as much as he loved himself. And his righteousness through faith is given to you by faith and faith alone. <laughs> what a community. What a community this is. Through the works of Jesus, he has brought us into a community of freedom. Our sins are dead, our enemies are toothless, and our chains are gone. They're gone. This is nothing that we have done ourselves. We are as helpless as the Israelites. My friends, it is only by the precious blood of Jesus that our chains of sin and shame are forever melted. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that we can enter into his community of freedom. And so what do we do in this community? Like, what do we do? Like, you know, we know, we know what Bama fans do. You know, they paint their bodies red and they, and they cheer when they score a touchdown, right? We know, we know what Comic-Con, you know, they do at Comic-Con. You know, they, they dress in all these wild characters, you know, they, and they have a blast there. So what do we do, quote-unquote, in this community of freedom? Well, number one, we celebrate our freedom. Uh, we're actually commanded to do that. Did you know that? How amazing is that? And that's what we're doing here today. That's what Sundays are about. We come here together and we celebrate. We literally sing, don't we? <laughs> we're celebrating the freedom that our Savior has won for us. That's what we're doing. We're celebrating. And then the second thing we do in this community of freedom is we continuously, not just on Sundays, but every day, we continually remind one another of our freedom. Continually remind one another of our freedom. I mean, why do you think God goes through such detail here in Exodus 12 about the Passover meal, right? It's pretty detailed, isn't it? Like a lot of text is given to that, the Passover meal. Why does God do that? Because he wants his people to remember. He gives them something tangible to remember their rescue, their freedom by. He gives them an actual meal that they can gather around together and eat so that they can remember because Yahweh knows something. He knows that we will forget. <laughs> we will forget very quickly about what he has done for us. Very, in an instant, we'll forget it. Dr. Martin Luther was asked one time after service, after his preaching, he was asked by one of his congregants, she said, hey, Dr. Luther, why do you preach the gospel every Sunday? He said, because you forget it every Sunday. Every week. Every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you forget it. And so do I. <laughs> so we have to be reminded. We have to be reminded of our freedom. We need people to tell us that we are indeed free. In the New Testament, we're actually commanded to enjoy our freedom. Did you know that? How, how cool is that? We're commanded to enjoy our freedom. That's what the entire book of Galatians is about. If you don't believe me, read it. That's what the whole thing's about, okay? About enjoying your freedom. And so if you're here this morning 
and you're wondering what God's will is for your life. I know that's a struggle for a lot of people. You know, what is God's will for me, for my life? Okay? If that's you, if you're wondering what God's will is for you, you can wonder no longer. Wonder no longer. <laughs> the will of God for you is this. It's just three words. You ready? Here's the will of God for your life. Enjoy your freedom. Period. And that's it. Enjoy your freedom. Enjoy it. Y'all don't believe me. That's okay. Read Galatians. Read Galatians. It'll only take you about 40 minutes to read the book. Maybe less, 30 minutes. Read it. Paul said, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You see? Everybody's wondering, like, yeah, okay, I get the message of freedom. I get, you know, blah, 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 freedom, freedom, freedom. Yeah, okay. But what for? Like, what for, though? Like, what's the freedom for? He says it. Paul says, and I quote, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. <laughs> it's for freedom. He set you free so that you could be free. Well, what do I do with my freedom? I don't know. Just go and be free. <laughs> Just go and enjoy it, right? Enjoy the freedom. Eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> Just go enjoy it. Just be free. Just be free. If you don't read, believe me, read Galatians. So within this community of freedom here is what happens then. Since this is what our community is all about, here's what happens. You bring your pain. You bring your sins. You bring your addictions, your idols, your doubts, your struggles, your failures, your shame, your regrets. And then one of your fellow blood-bought brothers and sisters reminds you. Yeah, but you're free. You're free. <laughs> you're free from that. All your sins are forgiven. They are. You might feel like you're a slave to them. You might think you're a slave to them. But you're not. You are not. Whom the Son sets free is Free indeed. <laughs> this is a community of freedom, you know. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer. For our champion has set us free with his very own blood. He has fought the war and he has won the victory. Oh, and to the victor go the spoils.